Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. It is Memorial Day weekend in the U.S., and so far, it is the most exciting and explosive weekend of pop culture we've seen in a long time. I'm Jeff Braun. After being delayed for two full years, Tom Cruise finally gets to take our breath away with Top Gun Maverick on the big screen. And at your home theater, not one but two monster shows on streaming. Obi-Wan Kenobi and Stranger Things 4. Plus, we'll break down the season and mid-season finales of Survivor and Better Call Saul. But first, let's start with Tom Cruise and perhaps the most anticipated movie of the summer out in theaters now. It's Top Gun Maverick. Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. You were here at the request of Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. I tend to push your limits. Show me what you're made of. Nice. Having any fun yet? Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick is at 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, and many of those reviews are quite enthusiastic. It is, of course, a long-awaited sequel to the 1986 Tom Cruise classic about fighter jet pilots, and we're not kidding when we say long-awaited. Top Gun Maverick was supposed to be released in July of 2019. It got pushed back a year so they could work on the flight sequences, and then the pandemic hit, and it got pushed back several times the last two years. It was sort of snake-bitten because just when we thought it would come out, a new variant would crop up and shut theaters down and push the movie back. I think there have been four full trailers, and almost every movie I have gone to in the last few years when I could, featured one of the Top Gun trailers as they've been playing for three years now. So now we finally get to see the whole thing. Maverick returns to Top Gun to teach the latest crop of pilots the best of the best, including the son of his former partner, Goose, played by Miles Teller. Jennifer Connelly plays the love interest. John Hamm is a colleague who doesn't seem thrilled to have Maverick around. And I believe Iceman Val Kilmer will make an appearance as well. He's not acted much these last years because of health issues. So it'll be great to see him reprising one of his iconic roles. The main stars, of course, are the Jets. The last couple of weeks, the advertising for Top Gun has really been pushing the stunt flying and all of that. And so, of course, this really will be one of the movies you need to see on the big screen this year. I got my ticket. I'm stoked to go. I'm also already starting to plan my second trip to see it because <laughs> my girlfriend Kim and her kids want to see it as well. So we'll all go as soon as we can kind of figure out a time where that will work for all of us, Brett. I have not seen the first Top Gun movie in probably at least... 25 years, and uh, I feel like maybe this weekend I should check that out. It looks like it's available on demand through Stars. That's uh, part of my cable package, so I can pull that up on my PVR. But uh, it's funny when you look at the first movie doesn't really doesn't have the best reviews, and that this one is overwhelmingly being lauded not just as a good but a great movie. Can't wait to see it. Can't wait for the spectacle. Big screen, a must indeed. And it's not the only thing Tom Cruise had going on this week because the first teaser trailer for next year's Mission Impossible movie was released this week. Your days of fighting for the so-called greater good are over. This is our chance to control the truth, the concepts of right and wrong from everyone for centuries to come. You're fighting to save an ideal that doesn't exist. Never did. 
That's the voice of Henry Zerny reprising his role from the very first Mission Impossible movie way back in 1996 as Kittredge, who in that movie turned out to be one of the heels of a sort. Uh, but, you know, because we're talking about Mission Impossible, who knows, he could be a good guy or a bad guy, or that might not even be in him because, you know, they're fond of doing the fake-out thing with the masks. Nevertheless, while Kittredge has the only dialogue in this teaser trailer, there's a lot of cool things to look at, including some crazy stunts, which the franchise is so strongly associated with these last few movies. There's a train flying through the air. There's a shot, a lot of shots of Tom Cruise in a very small yellow car involved in a chase through the narrow streets of some European city. And of course, there are a lot of shots of Tom Cruise running because that is his signature move. And then it ends with his Ethan Hunt riding a motorcycle right off the edge of a cliff. We see him falling down and then it cuts away presumably right before a parachute opens or something that would, you know, save him from dying. It all looks amazing, and even though the movie, it's the seventh Mission Impossible and the first of a two-part series finale, it doesn't open for 14 more months, but I'm already getting excited. If you've not yet seen it, go to YouTube, check out the first teaser trailer for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. That's how you know they're serious. <laughs> so much running when I watched that trailer. I thought, ah, oh, Tom Cruise, he is just uh, the energizer bunny of action movies. Good for him. This is a big, big week for Tom Cruise, just as it's a big week for a big Australian. Yeah, another uh, big trailer coming out this week for a full trailer now, released for the upcoming Thor Love and Thunder. Kids, get the popcorn now. Let me tell you the story of the space viking, Thor Odinson. He was no ordinary man. He was a god. After saving planet Earth for the 500th time, Thor set off on a new journey. Well, he got in shape. He went from dad bod to god bod. And after all that, he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. Jay? That was the Alien Korg, voiced by director Taika Waititi, who is the comic relief in a movie full of comic relief, and hopefully he does narrate the whole movie. I would enjoy that very much. I mean, that's the thing about Thor. The MCU folks made him the dumb, funny one, but also still very heroic, of course. The Jane he refers to is Natalie Portman, reviving her role from the first two Thor movies. But now she, or maybe multiverse she, is also a Thor-like god. The old ex-girlfriend. What's it been like? Three, four years? <laughs> Eight years, seven months, and six days. Give or take. My, uh, sensing feelings. <laughs> well, you're right. The only ones who gods care about is themselves. So this is my vow. All gods will die. Yeah, we got the love and now we get the thunder as the trailer takes a darker turn in the second half where we meet the villain Gore the God Butcher, played by former Batman Christian Bale. I don't know about you, but Gore the God Butcher sounds like a name that's going to spell quite a bit of trouble for Thor. He looks scary and gross too. He's all painted black and white. It's just creepy. The movie will also feature the Guardians of the Galaxy, of course, and other recurring MCU and Thor characters. Each trailer looks better and better. Can't wait to see Thor Love and Thunder opening in just six weeks from now on July 8th. Let's see who you are. 
I take off your disguise. And flick! Oh! You flicked too hard, damn it! Shall we help him? And eventually, grape. Russell Crowe as Zeus used his hand magic, his lightning magic, to flick Thor's robe away, and he was buck naked. So, yeah, that's... Uh, that was a funny scene. So, yeah, it looks great. Can't wait for that. Also new in theaters this weekend, by the way, a big screen edition of a cartoon that's been on Fox for 12 seasons. It's the Bob's Burgers movie. All right, emergency kid meeting. What? Here? Yeah, we got to talk. Outdoor before school emergency kid meeting? Is this about whatever's going on with Tina's bangs right now? I've been wanting to fix them all morning. Wait, what? Get your buns to theaters. You have seven days to make your payment. It's going to be okay, Bob. For mystery. I know. Can you believe it? And mayhem. Big things are coming for Summer Tina. Oh! oh my God. Not what I was expecting. The Bob's Burgers movie. Rated PG-13. Only in theaters. Get tickets now. This movie's also getting good reviews at 90% at last count on RottenTomatoes.com. And we just want to mention this briefly. We, we record this show Thursday at noon in Winnipeg and... Uh, we found out seconds before we were to press record that Ray Liotta has died, Jeff. Yeah, that's pretty sad. As uh, stories all say, he died in his sleep in the Dominican Republic at age 67. So don't know the entire story yet, of course, but uh, it's a bit of a shock because 67 is not very old. That's far too young to be passing away. So it's sad to see Ray Liotta go. Um Famous, most famous, obviously, for his role as uh, Henry Hill in the Martin Scorsese movie Goodfellas, which is just, he, he didn't win an Oscar for that. I'm not even sure if he got nominated, haven't had time to look it up. But that was a career-defining role, and it's one of the greatest in all of Scorsese's movies, and therefore in all of movies altogether. In a moment, we are going to tell you about the first of two huge new shows hitting your television this weekend. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. It is here. It is finally here. It's a project years in the making. Originally, it was supposed to be a movie. Now it's a six-episode series on Disney+. Plus. It's Obi-Wan Kenobi. They're coming. Stay hidden. Will not survive. Leave us alone. When the time comes, he must be trained. Like you trained his father. Ouch. Ewan McGregor is back as Obi-Wan after playing the role for the Star Wars prequel films. Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith ended with him taking baby Luke Skywalker to Tatooine to pass him off to Owen Lars, a.k.a. Uncle Owen. Obi-Wan would then stay and watch over Luke and make sure that he remains safe and alive and stays hidden. This show takes place 10 years later with Obi-Wan watching over Luke from afar. And as for why they must stay hidden, well, some bad dudes are looking for them. Jedi. This patience 
That was the voice of the Grand Inquisitor appearing in live action for the first time. The Grand Inquisitor was once a guard at the Jedi Temple, but he's gone sour and leads a team of Force-sensitive warriors who are hunting down all remaining Jedi. Eventually, Obi-Wan goes off-world, likely to get the Inquisitors off his scent, and eventually all signs point to all signs point to a rematch between him and his former pupil. Hayden Christensen is back as the artist formerly known as Anakin Skywalker, now known as Darth Vader. You can't run, Obi-Wan! You can't escape him! Goosebumps. Jeff, are you pumped? I am sort of pumped. I think the lesson we've learned from Star Wars the last 20, 25 years has been uh, careful about getting your hopes up, uh, careful what you wish for, that kind of thing. Ever since being burned following the hype for The Phantom Menace, it's hard to really go all in on a Star Wars thing for me. And speaking of The Phantom Menace, I did rewatch the prequel trilogy this past weekend. I try and watch those movies every five years or so, hoping that I'll suddenly really like them, and I still just don't. I'm not even Revenge of the Sith, which I often see ranked like fourth among all all Star Wars movies on people's social media feeds. I think the last hour is kind of interesting, seeing how Anakin literally becomes Darth Vader, but mostly it's still boring. Watching the prequels feels like homework every single time, so it's made me a little less excited about Obi-Wan than I was a week ago. Although, I do say, uh, the, Star Wars forks, the Star Wars folks are much better at their jobs now than Lucas was in 1999, so I can't imagine this show will be as bad as the prequels or anything like that so uh, it'll definitely be more entertaining so I, I think i am getting excited for it i'm definitely very curious about it i know you're excited yeah and i rewatched uh, all of the first six star wars movies and in kind of a weird order too like i wanted to i can't remember i saw some video of obi-wan saying hello there so i just wanted to go back and, and re-watch that fight between him and general grievous so i ended up watching episode three Episode two, episode one, and then four, five, six. Uh, I don't know why I went in that order, but I will say this about the prequels. Every time I watch the prequels, I actually enjoy them more. And in 4K uh, through the Disney Plus service on my big TV, it's unbelievable how much, just how much stuff George Lucas crammed into the, the screen. I'm not saying that's a good thing necessarily, because that's, of course, the reason why those movies were not that great because George Lucas wasn't doing a good job at directing his actors. He was more concerned with the digital realm that he had created. But as far as the story goes, I I really have an appreciation for that story and, and for the, the master stroke that Palpatine, how he laid everything out, the patience his character must have had is just incredible. And the stuff that I don't like, I just fast forward through. Like the um, the romance stuff in episode two is ridiculous. It remains among the worst dialogue in the history of cinema. I can't stand to watch any of those scenes, so I just blast through them. But I really like the this sort of space noir feel of Attack of the Clones. You know, Obi-Wan goes off like this gumshoe roaming the galaxy to the point where he even ends up on this planet that's dark and rainy. It's just, I quite enjoy it. And then that scene when all of the Jedi show up 
uh, on Geonosis. That's really cool. And I very still love the the huge fight that he and Anakin have at the end of Episode 3, which, of course, is just so tragic. So I enjoy those movies still. But the difference between the prequels and the originals is noticeable instantaneously when you watch A New Hope because the actors are actually acting and they have dialogue that is amusing and enjoyable and they have good characterization. So as as much as I have come to appreciate the prequels, they don't even come close to episodes four, five, and six. Also, by the way, I started finally started watching the Clone Wars cartoon because that's on Disney Plus as well. That's going to be a bit of a chore and I'm trying to not let it sort of consume me like where I have to binge through all of it because it's over a hundred episodes. So that's exciting for this weekend. And in a moment, we're going to tell you about the other big show that is coming your way. You're listening to the couch potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the couch potatoes. We just told you about the first big show out on streaming this weekend. Obi-Wan Kenobi, by the way, no reviews posted yet on RottenTomatoes.com. They are being super tight with the uh, sneak preview on that. So we're going to find out with the rest of the world. And now here's the other one that was on lockdown for the most part. Stranger Things 4. If you are not familiar with Stranger Things, it debuted July 15th, 2016. No fanfare, no hype, just kind of showed up. It's set in 1980s Indiana and was about a group of young friends who witnessed supernatural forces and secret government chicanery. Once they start snooping, they unravel a web of interdimensional insanity where they have to fight nasty monsters. And they meet a girl who has some pretty nifty telekinetic powers thanks to some brutal government experiments. It was a delightful little show, incredibly nostalgic, and it quickly gained steam and then became one of the biggest shows in the streaming service's history. Season 3 debuted in July of 2019, and now almost three years later, we finally have the fourth season. I relocated you guys far from Hawkins because I thought you'd be safe. Your friends at Hawkins are very much in the eye of the storm. I don't have my powers. I don't know how to say this other than just to say it. Without you, we can't win this war. Hey, by the way, I said it's on lockdown for the most part. There, This one does have some reviews posted to Rotten Tomatoes, I see now. Uh, 88%, 59 ratings posted so far as, I, as we record this show. Netflix often provides us with preview content, which is awesome. I did not get Stranger Things 4. Did you happen to have that in your preview content? I did not. Okay. 
well, I guess we're 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 the D team as far as the <laughs> <laughs> Netflix is concerned, which is fine because I'm excited to watch it this weekend. So season four, here's the the weird part. Season four is nine episodes and will be split into two volumes. The first seven debut this weekend, and then they're going to hold the final two episodes for July first. Convinced I was put here for some other reason. Maybe I can still help. Even if it's the last thing I do. And we get to see the big bad guy. I guess maybe he's the one who's been pulling all the strings on the other side, or maybe he's the mind flayer that we've been dealing with for the last two seasons, just in more of a humanoid form. Either way, he looks mean. He's being compared to a Freddy Krueger type as well as the most powerful villain in Dungeons and Dragons. I have no idea who that is, but I do know I am excited to finally get this going. You have lost. Also, this season is being described as the beginning of the end. Season 5 will be the final season of Stranger Things. I had previously been under the impression, I think, that season four was the end of the line, but season five is going to be the end. Hopefully it doesn't take three years to get to that. Jeff, uh, what do you think? I'm excited for this uh, quite a bit. Every time it comes back, I get excited, and it's exciting at the beginning, and then we usually find in the middle it gets bogged down a little bit, but then it always ends kind of strong, and you're like, oh, that was pretty good. Can't wait till it comes back again. So, yeah, I'm excited for this. I have... Absolutely no recollection of anything that's happened before today. So I'm going to have to, I think tonight I'll rewatch the finale from season three to sort of get back up to speed before we get that dump of seven uh, for this weekend. It's been a long time since a show I've watched dump the whole season all at once kind of thing, or in this case, the whole half season or whatever it is. So uh, I don't think I'll get through seven this week, but I'll try and get through three or four of them for sure but yeah I'm, I'm excited to see stranger things again and hopefully you're right that it doesn't take three more years to get the final season out either and i'm sure that the the young cast probably want to get on with it or maybe some of them would probably be happy to stick around but millie bobby brown i'm sure wants to sort of just get on with it and leave it behind um as far oh and there are a ton of recap videos on youtube like really long ones 15 20 minute recaps but i did yeah. recently rewatch all three seasons of stranger things and <laughs> i did not realize just how much i forgot like i remembered sort of broad strokes but all the crucial little details were completely gone from my mind and it it was just so much fun it has elements of the goonies et it the gate alien i still think that first season should have been four hours tops maybe even a two-hour movie but the boys are just so great together and 11 is just such an interesting and unique character imagine you're you know you and your boys just happen to meet uh, a superhero really i mean she's got superpowers so i enjoyed season one season two i actually enjoyed more the second time round. not to say that i didn't enjoy it the first time round. i just felt like it had way too much side stuff but maybe because i knew the side stuff was coming 
I was able to enjoy it more and appreciate it more because it really did help Eleven's character development. And uh, season three, I thought was great. The only thing, I mean, and in 4K as well, I finally upgraded my Netflix to 4K. I don't know why it's taken me so long. I've had a 4K TV for a year, but I didn't update the Netflix because I figured it would, it would be a cumbersome task. It took me like 10 seconds to just log into a web browser and, and switch it. It costs a couple extra bucks, but whatever. Uh, the only thing I think that I really didn't care about in season three is just how gory it is. And I, I don't have a problem with gore, but they made the, the, the big bad guy super gross, almost just for the sake of it. And I know that that was a big part of uh, a stretch of 80s horror was gore. So maybe that's what they're doing. They're just honoring doing what they've been doing the whole time is honoring the stuff from the past that they really enjoyed. So, but season four apparently is darker. It's scarier. And I am excited to finally get it going. I did watch the first eight minutes. It was posted on YouTube. I don't know if it was posted intentionally, but, um, it's pretty, uh, it gets off to a pretty dark start. That's all I'm going to say. So enjoy Stranger Things if you watch it this weekend on Netflix. And in a moment, we got to go over a couple of major finales. We had the mid-season finale for Better Call Saul that knocked both the couch potatoes to the floor. And then Survivor 42. What a season this turned out to be. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brad. A couple of new shows are coming out this week that we're excited about, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Stranger Things. And the good news is a couple of our favorite shows just ended this week to make room in our schedule. And we're going to talk about a couple of them right now, starting up with spoilers coming right up for the finale of Survivor 42. For 21 years I've been watching Survivor. This is the final fight. It comes down to this. You have Mike. Jonathan, Romeo, Lindsay, and Marianne, this is the finale of Survivor. I've been getting played this whole time. Yeah. This could make or break my game. You need to make a bold move. Wow! I made a fake idol. See? The Survivor season finale. Again, spoiler warning, we're going to talk about the ending of Survivor. It was a great finale, I thought, capping off a terrific season. There was a lot of great gameplay near the end. The challenges were fun. I like that massive one they often do where they have a bunch of different obstacles to deal with. And then the the ball winding through the tubes challenge is genius. So simple, yet so difficult uh, to keep up with. And it was this was one of the funniest iterations of it yet, I thought. I think there were a lot of Jonathan fans out there, so probably quite a bit of disappointment in the outcome. I didn't mind him. I wasn't really rooting for him, though. I mean, he was, of course, built like the Incredible Hulk and was beyond impressive with any of the physical play, but he wasn't a terribly smart player, I didn't think, and seemed to rub quite a few people the wrong way a lot of the time. And then we ended up with this final three that was pretty unique. Marianne, who, of course, ended up winning, was a stealth strategist who explained herself very well at the final tribal council. And as we learned uh, in the after show, that pretty much led to her win. Most of the jurors had gone in undecided and she swayed them. I liked her from the beginning. Of course, I remember saying I was worried that she might go home early simply because she was uh, so outspoken and so loud. And that just often doesn't bode well. The second Canadian winner in a row, by the way, which is awesome. Only the second ever black woman to win. And the first since Vesepia won way back in season four. I was rooting hardest for Mike, though, I'll admit. He did what uh, you know he had to do down the stretch to get there, winning the second-last challenge and then crushing the fire-making challenge in the Tribal Council. Just couldn't convince the jury. Too much talk of integrity, which is 
old school survivor, modern survivor, sees a lot more players concerned and impressed by strategy as opposed to how much honor one figures they play with. And while I don't think anyone thought Romeo would win, I thought he actually acquitted himself quite well at the end. Probably the best arguments we've ever heard from someone who would, you know, be categorized as a floater. Fun season overall. I liked it quite a bit more than the season before it. I just found more of the players interesting to watch, I think. I am curious to see which of the gimmicks will stick around from these last two seasons. Uh, I got to say, I'm not a fan of things that deprive players of their vote at Tribal Council. But in general, I do like that a lot of the advantages now come with a significant risk attached to them. And one of the most impressive things in the more than 20 years of the show is how willing they are to take big swings by introducing new twists and gimmicks. A lot of them don't work and do quickly fall by the wayside. But every now and then they do come up with something really cool that makes the game more interesting. So a good season uh, overall, I thought. Brett, what do you think? I also thought it was a terrific season of Survivor on Global. I loved the Tribal Council with the jury. Marianne. It's funny that she won because at the beginning of the season, I hated her, despised her, could not stand her. I thought she was super annoying. And then she comes out in this tribal and just smashes it out of the park. She dominated the jury. And it was nice to see, and I know that it's been moving this way for a few years, but it's nice to see the jury finally understand that this is a game. There's nothing worse than watching a grumpy jury, a jury full of petty, you know, begrudged, whiny crybabies. Like... It's a game. You signed up for a game. It's outwit, outplay, outlast. You lost. You got outwitted, outplayed, and outlasted. You're not sitting in the final three. So just shut up, stop being a baby, and accept that you lost the game. And I think it's great that the players have finally gotten to that point. I just hope it doesn't become too respectful, right? You don't want to see a total loss of drama. You still want some people to be upset here and there, but uh, overall, I thought Survivor 42 was awesome. And oh, Canada, back-to-back winners for Canada. I think they're, they might that might be the be it for uh, Canadian contestants. <laughs> they're like, USA, USA, we got to take this show back. Yeah, they're going to get uh, blackballed again. I, I do like, there used to be a thing where the jury would always have that one person that would just freak out and fly off the handle who took it way too personally. If that came back, that would be okay. So that was Survivor 42. Of course, we're looking forward to Survivor 43 in the fall. But another show uh, sort of wrapped up. It Well, this is how it went. It was the last episode of the first half of the last season <laughs> of the prequel series to Breaking Bad aired this past week. Let's talk some Better Call Saul. On the mid-season finale of Better Call Saul. We need home court advantage. I'm going to figure out what the hell is happening. Power! Seize the day. Carpe diem. Don't live with regret. Go! Action! Okay, we won't give it any spoilers. I know there are a lot of people who actually only watch Better Call Saul on Netflix and won't even have access to this season for months and months, maybe a year. But, I mean, be warned if that's you because you are bound to hear something somewhere along the line. But we'll keep the major spoilers off the table today. This week's episode, like I said, was the last of the first half of the season. They've done half a dozen or so. Now there's a break until July 11th when the final six episodes of the series will start airing. And, boy, did they hook us with that mid-season finale. I mean, Better Call Saul's always felt... Like two separate shows, really. There's the part with Saul and his friend, now wife Kim, and their machinations within the legal society of Albuquerque. And the other half of the show has been Mike the criminal fixer and the drug cartels and all that. That's where we found Nacho, and that's where we had the return of Gus Fring. And occasionally something would connect the two sides, but that was rare, and often it felt like the show only did it to justify having the two halves. Otherwise, why not split them up into their own shows? Uh, 
It's also one of the reasons I don't think I can ever get on board with uh, the better call Saul is better than breaking Brad crowd as good as Saul is. It's always felt a little disjointed to me until, of course, this week when the two worlds collided in jaw-dropping fashion. This would be the spoiler, so we won't say exactly what happened. If you know, you know. It was an amazing TV moment, the finale, the end of it. I had intended to watch something else after Saul on Monday night, but when the show ended, I just turned off my TV because there was nothing that could top it, nothing that could even hold my attention, so why bother trying? Um, leaving the end of the episode aside, two things happened in the finale. The Saul and Kim mess with Howard story hit its peak. Patrick Fabian was incredible, and Lalo returns to Albuquerque, proving to be a menace to Gus once again. I think it's pretty clear now the final six episodes of the series will see the two halves coming together through to the end. They pretty much have to somehow. How exactly, of course, would be impossible to say, like Breaking Bad before it. Trying to get ahead of the plot on Better Call Saul is just a fool's errand. Whatever I think is going to happen next, they always come up with the zig or a zag and it's always better than what i had intended so i can't start wait to start finding out how this series is going to end when it comes back july 11th brett i gotta give you kudos by the way you're too modest to mention it but jeff braun tweeted after the mid-season finale i was going to watch something else after better call saul but instead i just turned my tv off nothing can follow that hashtag better call saul well you were quote tweeted by the official Better Call Saul account and ended up with 5,724 likes. Very impressive. <laughs> and one of those likes, I will point out, was uh, a like by uh, Rhea Se Seahorn, the actress who plays Kim Wexler. Well done, Jeff Braun. Well done. That must have been Thank exciting you. for you. But uh, yeah, the, 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 the final scene, I was shouting I was like oh my god oh my god and then just <laughs> like no no i don't want to wait don't make me wait till july 11th so i feel like it's an act of cruelty at this point to make us wait till july 11th but what a cliffhanger and uh what a show that just the creative team behind this show and, and breaking bad they are it's they're it's they've created all they do is create masterpieces and uh we are all the luckier for it that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.